right, so welcome back. This is our um, episode on burnout. So we are here today to talk about something that everybody knows the term, like everybody knows what it is to be burned out. But we really want to talk about the impact that burnout has on today's workforce. Um, So I'm going to start by just defining what burnout is, which is it's defined as a lack of energy or exhaustion, mental distance or negative feelings, cynicism, reduced professional efficiency, and lack of achieving results. So how many times have you felt that at work? <laughs> every single day of my life. Every like every day, day every day. I'm like daily, maybe three or four times in an hour. <laughs> right. I mean, think about it. Like I cannot tell you how many times in my life that I've felt burned out and just like, and and it impacts everybody. So let me read some statistics. So I read an article by the American Psychological Association that says 79% of U.S. workers experience work-related stress, which leads to burnout. Three in five reported feeling the negative impact of work-related stress, which meant, meant for them a lack of interest, a lack of motivation, and a lack of energy. And then there was another article by Zapia that said 77% of U.S. workers experienced feelings of burnout. 21% reported com- that the company has no programs to help. That's huge. And you know what the number one profession for burnout is? Guess. Um, healthcare. No, but that's number two. Number one is teachers. Oh, goodness. Yep. The number one profession with for burnout is teachers. And I mean, if your teachers are all burned out, these are, this is our education system. So this is impacting. Yes. Our next generation. Yes. By teachers that are so burned out. Um, And the next is healthcare workers, social workers experience a lifetime, a lifetime burnout rate of 75%. And the current rate of burnout in social workers is 39%. So this is huge. So t- tell me about what, what burnout is for you or what you've found out about it or like, where are you at with, with the topic of burnout? Oh, well, I experience it firsthand daily. Um, I like, yeah. I, like in the previous uh, episode, I currently work for a healthcare company and I'm not going to say the name of the company, but I will say it's very stressful. Um, well, and it's a very major corporation. This, this is not like a small little mom and pop somewhere you work for a, a major corporation. And again, we're not going to discuss the name, but it's, it's indicative of, of what big corporations are experiencing. Well, just the healthcare itself, the whole infrastructure of healthcare. I mean, it is massive. Um, and then you start thinking about like the never ending cyclical work. And that's the, one of the things that leads to burnout. Um, but it's not the only thing It's not the only thing that leads to burnout, but in my case, burnout in my experience, what it's been, not just in this field or this particular role, burnout has always just been one of those things where you don't have enough balance because you're constantly in survival mode. You're not able to catch your break and you're constantly in the hamster wheel. You know, we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm battling, I'm battling and I'm going, I'm good, but I'm not moving. Yeah, and I'm, I'm exhausted now. And I'm exhausted now. And now I'm just dead. <laughs> and and it feels that way. It feels that way when you, you know, you're experiencing that burnout. So from first time experience, I have to say that burnout has been really, really hard for me to handle and cope. Um, and 
you know, something we didn't talk about in the previous episodes that I am a hypnotherapist. So I really do focus on my health and my mental health and trying to make sure that I find that balance so that I'm not over suppressing or uh, stimulating my nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but I think about it, like, I know a lot about my mental health and the things that stimulate me and what are causing a lot of stress to me and what causes a lot of anxiety. But for the most folk that don't, that are just in constant survival mode with this burnout, it's exhausting. It's depressive. It's, it's anxiety filled. Um, mm-hmm. you're not able to focus on your partner. You're not able to focus on your goals. You're not able, you're just on survival mode. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point, though, about your nervous system, because you and I are both very, very aware. You're a hypnotherapist and I'm a therapist, like a licensed clinical therapist, and I still struggle with burnout. So this is not it's not about having knowledge of this as much as it is applying the knowledge and being able to see what this level of work is doing to us like it really is causing people to have major I I read some statistic that said the U.S. healthcare system 190 billion dollars a year is spent because of work related stress issues I mean what it almost feels conspiratorial to me but that's just but isn't it isn't it that (laughs) I mean, because if if people have to pay, yeah, that's a little too coincidental for me uh, that the healthcare system is in reality benefiting from work related stress. Well, if you think about them, just and I'm, we're not even going to go into that because we're not going to go into that. But I'm just going to say it's you know mental health is a very, very lucrative business when it comes to pharmaceuticals. Um, but follow the money. Anyway. Yeah. Back to what I'm talking about burnout. Um, it is important for most of us that are in the workforce, which most of us are, even if you're a full-time mom, that's still part of the workforce. And you, you still know, get burned out from being a full-time mom. Are you kidding me? Being a full-time mom is harder than a full-time employee. And thinking, and you know what? I, I work with one of the one of the therapy jobs I have is working with women's health. And it's interesting, first-time moms struggle so hard with thinking they're not like they're supposed to be a certain way. And realizing that being a first-time mom is the most stressed and overwhelmed they've ever been in their entire lives. And that's like a, a separate topic sort of, because we're not talking about work, but we also have to understand that burnout is like you said, everybody experiences it. And it doesn't matter what role, if you're in a corporate world, because I know that we're talking about corp- our podcast is corporate to conscious, but we're not just catering to the corporate environment. We're talking to everyone that is experiencing this because every single one of us that do anything repetitiously and, you know, it stops being part of our purpose and you're doing it so often and without having that proper balance of taking care of yourself first, you're going to experience burnout. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, our podcast, yeah, it is talking about all the things that has to do with consciousness and, you know, corporations and work, but it includes everyone that it goes for moms that goes for, you know, parents that are currently, if you're a stay at home dad working 
to take care of the household while your wife works, that can be a lot of work too. Where do you clock out? You know, where is the clock in and the clock out? Well, you or- know, college students, like students experience this, people that work in fast food restaurants. I mean, everybody is overworked and underappreciated. I feel, I think it feels like, because I saw one statistic and I don't remember where it's from. So I hate saying statistics without a place where I got them from, but it was talking about how important it is. Recognition for people is a huge, huge component of reducing burnout because people feel unrecognized. And I thought, I never even thought about that, like recognition from peers. So go ahead. What were you going to say? So it's funny you say that. So when I used to work at, um, I'm not going to say what company, but I worked for a um, corporation that was for a vehicle corporation here in the U.S. And I was managing a team about maybe 15 to 18 people. And one of the things that I noticed um, between different teams that were there that were being managed was the camaraderie that they had with their staff. You could tell the one the teams that were happy and that had a good camaraderie that had a good balance that had a manager that gave them recognition um or that cared or interacted with them um and you could tell because they'd always be goofing off they'd be coming out of the meeting they'd be giggling and smiling and then you could tell with the managers that were not very in touch with their team at all that wouldn't really interact that wouldn't have that relationship oh geez um a relationship with their team per se how it was very distant very disconnected and very um you could tell that the morale was down in the team but you could also tell the manager was carrying herself you know like she was holding the world in her shoulders so the whole team appeared that same way and it comes down to your management you know how you create that camaraderie when I was a manager, I recall several times having this very easygoing environment where all my employees felt comfortable being that way with me and have a very relaxed and they would be very honest with me and be like, hey, you know, this is coming up. Um, but I could also see the flip side of that as well, how if you're too lenient with a group of team, you know, then they step all over you as well. So well, I could so see- that's that's the mistake that I've made in my career is being in levels of leadership where I i mean, there have been times when I didn't feel like I even deserved to be the leader because I was like, oh, I had like imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to be leading this team? And so I didn't have, I wasn't very boundaried in the way that I was leading. And my my team manipulated me all the time and they got like, they would do things. But at the same time, I don't like to play like detective where you're trying to figure out because I've had bosses like that where they're trying to figure out if you're lying or if you're being dishonest. And the truth is that really that micromanaging and always thinking that I'm doing something is so burning out for me. Like that's what creates yeah. so much burnout. Um, but there's also the stress that I felt as a new leader where I was always in trouble because my team was always like fucking with me. Oh, got it. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I had, and so I, I had to find that balance of like setting boundaries, but also not being constricting because that is, I hate that. That's not my style. Well, I think one of the things that really helped me being in, in management was honestly being very transparent with my team. I think I would explain to them, I have a boss, you have a boss, they have a boss. 
I'm like, and this is what's coming down the pipeline. This is the actual, like, this is the full truth of what we're working with. And this is how our management wants us to handle it. And this is how we're going to handle it as a team based off of the parameters that has been given to us. What do you guys think? Um, and I think that made my team feel like they were a part of that process with me. Um, and, and I'm letting them know like, Hey, this comes from upper management. This is like the, these are pretty much the parameters that we can work within. How do you guys think we should get this done? Now, did I do that for every type of process change? No, but there were certain things that I feel like in, and you know, your own team based off of the type of work that you're, you're doing, you're going to be able to identify what your team is going to be feel, feel comfortable in changing and things that you're going to have a lot of resistance on that you're going to either yeah. buy in. And so, and I think in certain situations like that, it's important to be able to find that balance, right? Being able to identify like, what role am I playing with this team? And like knowing the players within your team, because like I used to tell my, my upper management, they'd be like, well, this has to apply to everyone. Yeah, it applies to everyone. The rule applies to everyone. But the way that you maybe say that rule to that person, you're going to change it based off of that person's the way that they receive information. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to um, keep but that's a really good point about being transparent with your team, because I think especially frontline workers specifically lose sight of how much pressure there comes from above about like budgets and finances and bottom lines and being in that middle management space. It's really important to be transparent and but keep reminding your team like there is a bigger picture and a, another kind of pressure that's above me that's coming down on me that then comes down on you. Cause it like, it's compacting, right? Everybody gets compacted, but I think that frontline workers forget that and managers don't do a very good job generally of explaining that. And that causes so much disconnect from people on the bottom levels. Well, it creates a lot of distrust between management and then your absolutely. And I think I think in management perspective, it's like, oh, they're on a need to know basis. But the thing is, you're not in the front line. And that's one of the things that I have also learned to learn or that I've learned in my experience has been that you don't know what the frontline people want because you're not actually doing the work that the frontline people are doing. Mm -hmm. I think that is the most important part that has been like a huge learning to the way that I think of just management and how management and how different corporations implement, um, you know, the way that they execute things and the way that they manage their people has been that identifying that sometimes the people that are in the front line have already tips and tricks that are going to be way more useful than the current things that are already in place that are just set in place based off of like, well, this is how it was done back in the sixties and that's how we're keeping mm -hmm. it. It's different from that. And if sometimes if you allow your team at the forefront that are actually doing the work, you can learn a lot from what they're doing mm -hmm. and just giving them the opportunity to pull that information from them. That makes sense. Well, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about, I used to manage this lady who worked in this, this program. It was a horticulture program. So she's a gardener essentially, but so much more than a gardener. Like she was like, horticulture therapy. So she did like the mental health aspect of gardening, which was a really cool modality and helped so many people. She worked with women in prisons. She worked with veterans with PTSD and she had a really cool job, but her part of the business brought in no money. It was like a philanthropic part of the organization. So they didn't give her any help. 
they expected this 65-year-old woman to do the entire garden that they used for a lot of different programs. They expected her to be there seven days a week because plants need water seven days a week. They, they didn't think about any of these parts. That was probably the most burned out worker that I've ever experienced. And I felt so helpless to help her because the bottom line was, you don't make any money for us. So sorry, we are, we're not going to hire you any help. And it's like that disconnect between the upper level management and someone like her was literally heartbreaking to see. And I think those are the kind of situations, though, that I want us to be able to bring awareness to, because sometimes we're not bringing awareness to the areas that need the most support. Like, for instance, I've worked in corporations where the department that had the most visibility had the most amount of support, financial support, right? The highest budget, per se. But they were the people that were fucking off that budget the entire time, you know, buying lunches, all this nonsense. But, you know, then you have other departments that were like drowning in work that were making their employees work seven days a week to get by, get through the workload and the volume that they were experiencing. And they were getting pretty much, you know, in trouble for doing anything more than the overtime. So it, it just, it it really goes to show you how corporations sometimes don't know how to prioritize what's important or to really see what's actually being done and how it's being impacted. I've had mm-hmm. I've worked with corporations before where, you know, the employer is well aware that they're messing with the budget and they're just like, it's okay. That's, not, that's above your pay grade, you know, but then you have in your lane. That's like the favorite line, right? Yeah, but it's like, but we we need help over here. Yeah. Well, this lady that I was just talking about, like she would see other people's budget, like she would need a thousand dollars for some project she needed, which is nothing. But she could not get a thousand dollars to like put an irrigation system so she didn't have to work seven days a week. Meanwhile, other departments would come and lay a dance floor for a a. a event they were going to throw that costs like $5,000. And I mean, it was just those kinds of imbalances that just blew my mind. And as we're talking about burnout, it's like, no wonder people are burned out. No wonder people are like, don't have the motivation to come to work every day when it's pulling teeth to just get something that is a thousand bucks. And for some organizations that might be a lot, but for mine, it was not, it was a lot. It was very little money. It was like some change, but nobody would give it to her. And that's the thing, bringing awareness, these sort of situations, these burnout situations where, you know, another thing too, that I realized about burnout is how do you go to your boss and tell him, Hey, I feel burnt out. You know, you, there's really not a lot of help out there for burnout. No one talks about it. It's like, Well, because nobody, you don't want to feel like you can't hack the job or that you can't handle the stress because then you're put on a chopping block. But that's what I'm saying. Why is that a bad thing? Why do I have to be strong at work? Like all of us have good days and bad days. So I think burnout is normal, but I think it's something that we should be able to comfortably talk about and not feel like, oh, she's depressed now because she's when she's not, she just wants to talk about the fact that she's burnt the fuck out from doing the same shit every day. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's all she does. Like she just wants to, you know, vent it out a little, you know, she wants to get out of her system. Yeah. And that's so important. I think 
Um, and I think at some point we really need to get into talking about um, leadership training and how that that middle middle management layer is so undertrained and under stress or overstressed. And they are the ones who are responsible for managing the burnout of, of their team. And there has to be ways that they are trained to manage that. And one of the things that I really learned as a, I mean, I've been in director level positions with big organizations is to let your team vent to you. There's no threat to that. Like my team was allowed to tell me anything. No, they would go on for hours with my team, but I mean, I would let them. Yeah, they can tell me anything. And there was no repercussions for that until it was, and then it was time to move on. And I would, I would explain to them, here's why this is in place. I hear what you're saying. And now we got to move forward. And it, but allowing them to vent <laughs> was really like everything. Like they really trusted that relationship. But there were times and some of the things I would fix for them, I would go to bat for them and other things. I'm like, sorry, this is how it is, dude. (laughs) But sometimes you need that. And I think having the ability to talk to your boss, whether or not it's going to get solved, doesn't really make a difference. I think it makes a difference is if you feel heard, if you feel like someone else is on the same boat with you. Um, You know, I know that with the current role that I'm in, I will constantly be like, I call you and I'll tell you some of the mm-hmm. complaints and I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, okay, it's out of my system. Someone heard me. I feel heard. I'm like, hear my roar. And, you know, let's just carry on because I still have to keep going, right? So tell me about reframing because I feel like that's something you've recently started doing. I don't know if you're still doing it, but I feel like you were doing that for a while. That was helping though, right? Oh, it definitely helps. It helps, especially because I have a very angry humor, humorous so way of through, Like if, if you were teaching somebody reframing, um, how does that work? And is it, it's, it sounds hokey to me a little bit. Um, so tell, me. explain oh, to me why that's not hokey. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I actually I learned with hypnotherapy. I worked with a few uh, hypnotherapy groups um, and different journaling groups as well. And so one of the ones that was the most useful, I learned this about a couple of years back, um, but it wasn't until recently that I started applying it again and it's been useful. So reframing is essentially, you have a a thought prop. Let me just give you an example. You're working and this particular client of yours is being very difficult and you're getting angry at the fact that this client's being very difficult with you and it's almost like he's patronizing you because he's just asking the same questions just worded differently and at this point you're frustrated okay frustrated and getting pissed you know and getting annoyed and not wanting to deal with that person it's like well what is this really is it really frustrating is he really and it's asking yourself what is the truth about the situation so for me reframing is more along the lines like what is the truth of my of this particular situation. Am I operating off of like past trauma, past bias, things that have happened to me? This person remind me of someone. Is it triggering a past memory, um, a past feeling? Okay, so let me stop you. So when you start to feel like that person is annoying you is when you start to figure out why they're annoying you? Well, what is what is annoying me of the whole situation? Okay. 
So for me, it's like, okay, what's, why am I being annoyed by this? Okay. I'm annoyed by the fact that he's asking the same question, different various ways. Cause I feel like he's challenging me. Okay. Is that, is he challenging me? Is this the truth? Is he challenging me or is he just asking for clarity? Or is he just trying to get a need met? Well, that's what I'm saying. Clarity, right? Clarity is gaining, you know, he's trying to fill fill up a need. Um, So it's understanding that and then realizing, okay, is this, am I thinking the worst of the situation or the best of the situation? Um, And then once I add those questions kind of help me understand, like, where am I operating from? If I'm thinking the worst of the situation, but why am I thinking the worst of the situation? Um, and if, and even if I am thinking the worst of the situation, how can I, does that make me feel good? And what's the best way for me to change it? Like in my perfect world, if I want it to be in a, the ideal situation, how do I make that the perfect ideal situation? Okay. He's not annoying. He's excited to work with me. This client is excited to work with me, which is why is he's emailing me so many times eagerly <laughs> to talk to me. He's in love with me. <laughs> So you low key have to lie to yourself. <laughs> well, a lie to myself or I have to paint it in a way that it's going to be appealing to what my needs are. So if I'm still okay. want to work with this client and not feel like, oh my God, he's annoying me. Let me shove him at the very bottom of my pile. Yeah. Instead, oh my God, this client's so excited to work with me. He's eager to work with me. I'm so special. He wants to work with me. <laughs> So what that is called, like from my therapy world is called counter transference, which is when I have a client that makes me feel some kind of way that's not professional, whether it's that I want to work harder for them than I would for a normal client, or if I want to withhold from them it more than I would from a normal client. I'm using the word normal, meaning like of the run of the mill, there's no counter transference that I'm feeling. That's what that's called. It's because they are triggering something in you from your past. So that is where, from my perspective, boundaries would come in. But from the reframing perspective, you're figuring out where that counter transference is coming from. Well, yeah. And it's identifying everyone. It doesn't necessarily have to be with the person per se. It can be a situation. It can be a specific scenario that you're going through. Let's say, for instance, with work, you're frustrated with work, with the kind of work that you're doing. Like, what is it teaching me? Why am I frustrated? Why don't I want to do it? Um, And you would still ask yourself the same set of questions. Like, what is the truth? What would make me feel better? Or what would make me feel good right now in this moment? How? And the question why you reason, why you ask yourself, what would make you feel good in this moment is because the alternate part to creating our reality is understanding. It's based off of the feelings that you have. So do you want to be operating from a place of distrust or anger, or do you want to be operating from a place of like love and happiness? And that to me, where, where, where it comes down to like the reframing portion of it is like, okay, well, I'm pissed off that I have to get all this work done. Okay. That's your angry, but like, how do we reframe that? Okay. Well, you know, and I think you were the one that told me this, like as uncomfortable and as much as you hate doing the work, it still pays for your nice, comfy, cushy lifestyle. And it does, yeah. you know, when I was able to spend X amount of money to buy myself something that I definitely did not need, but I wanted, you know, that was one of those moments. I was like, oh yeah, this is that moment Bruce was talking about, you yeah, know? Okay. But let me ask you this. So with reframing, It sounds to me like a lot of extra work. You're already overworked. You're already struggling to get through the day. 
And to have to go through this exercise, is it a time-consuming process? Do you do it very infrequently? It's just for those people that are kind of more triggery or, and does it become habit? It becomes habit. Um, in the beginning, it was a little harder for me to kind of get used to doing it. Now, I think I just go into full observation mode where I just kind of take a step back and just kind of like observe the thoughts and the emotions behind my behavior or like the motives behind my behavior. Um, so now it's just one of those things where I, I don't have to sit there and ask myself those questions. It's kind of like, okay, why am I feeling this way? You know, what does this feeling really mean? Where is it coming from? Where is it stemming from? And it's really quick. It's just like, okay, is this coming from this? Is it coming from there? Okay. And it's not, okay, cool. So I know this is me and this is something that I'm having to work through. This is something new from my subconscious and I'm having to work through it. Or it's something that is countering something that's already been programmed and there's resistance. Okay. So, so it becomes kind of second nature. It's not so, it's not so clunky because it sounds like that's a, I mean, and I'm thinking through the lens of like counter transference and I think counter transference is like more like a patient to patient, like, or like a partner to a partner where you're, but we're, when we're talking about reframing, it's more scenario based. I just use a specific person. Oh, okay. It's more scenario based. Like, what is it that within you that you're struggling with in that specific moment that's causing frustration, anxiety, depression in that specific moment? So, like for instance, anything that you're oh, so doing, it's more you based versus yeah, the- it has nothing to do with the person. Yeah, it has oh, okay. everything to do with you. Everything's going to be internal work because the other person doesn't make a difference. You can't change your you can't change the person in front of you. You can change yourself and then change your perception of the person in front of you. Okay. Um, so that is what's different about it than counter transference. Cause for counter transference, transference, it is the other person I, because yes. without them triggering that thing in me, then, so I've got to go into why that person specifically, but it sounds like reframing is just like, you, I had a bad day at work. You. What's your problem? Yeah. Like what well, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the end of the day. It can be done throughout the day. But for me, when I started using it the most is during work hours, when I start getting in, impatient or getting irritated or pissed or bluster with something and I'm like why do I feel this way and then I have to walk away and we've talked about how I produce those like an excess amount of energy so I have to learn how to handle and you know work with different tools to push out my energy so that I can count so I can balance my energy out but everybody's different energetic wise and you know physical wise and the way that they handle their emotions as well but for me that's you know, that's what's worked. I have other clients um, that have done very similar tools that have used similar tools and they actually have to journal it out. You know, everybody's a little different, but I think the more that you do, it'll come easier. Yeah. Um, and I think a- another thing to really think about burnout is it creates kind of neural pathways for us that is, that becomes very much fixed in the way that we do business, right? So for example, if if you have like the Sunday scaries, which is a really common thing, like, okay, because I know that Monday is going to hit and I'm going to have all of these horrible things happen at work or I'm going to get instantly overwhelmed. So I think part of the reframing is to think through how can I reframe that for myself? Maybe Monday doesn't have to be so horrible for me and figuring out like, because our subconscious mind is coming into play and we want to really get into talking about the the conscious and the subconscious, not today. Um, but that, that is part of what reframing is, right? Is you're trying to figure out how to rewire your brain on some level. 
yeah, create a new neural pathway. So think of it like um, there's a plain field, right? And this plain field, Brixie always takes the same exact step road every day. And that's going to leave a little crevice, a little trail there. And now Brooksie, without even thinking, decides to go on the trail, but she wants to go on a different trail. But somehow she ends up in that same trail that she's always on. That's just because it's an automatic neural pathway there. So building a new one does take time, but it also takes time and also removing that resistance from automatically wanting to go to that original pathway. And so we have to create those new steps. And then it's also repetition. There's a few different things that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And I think too, um, one of the things that I teach is about compassion fatigue and which is related. Compassion fatigue is when burnout gets beyond. Like when you're burned out, it's you're still in that space of being able to pull yourself back and sort of remedy that or fix that for yourself. Compassion fatigue is when you've like crossed over into another lane where it's starting to impact your entire existence where you're getting insomnia you're starting to have physical health issues etc um and i think it's important to for teams to be able to help themselves and this isn't just a a me thing i have to be able to work within my team to develop skills within the team as well and i think l- remote work makes that really challenging for people also um, I mean, and I know the list of problems is just endless here. Like we, there's really not a solution that we're really coming up with. Um, but I think there are tools that we can use and reframing is a really good place to start. Um, do you have any other things that you specifically use for yourself? Um, for Especially for me for burnout is a lot of fidgeting, especially if you work from home. We have an excess amount of energy, and normally when we have social interactions, you're able to deploy and expel a lot of that energy. But when you work remote, you're harnessing and keeping all that energy within your body, um, and you're only able to give it to your computer and so forth. So for me, one of the things that has worked a lot is I work with um, either think different things to fidget my hands with. Um taking some steps to go outside. Brixie always encourages that one. <laughs> uh, but there's something about air, like fresh air, you know, like it can feel really stagnant to be in your, like my office space and I'm in here for hours. And I mean, it, you just feel like in your own bubble and it can feel very stagnant. I walk my dog mid in the middle of every day and it, it helps me. I haven't taken those steps yet to take a dog. I know you have. <laughs> I know you I haven't, have a dog, guys. I haven't, I don't have a dog for that reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I know you haven't taken those steps, but I I will continue to encourage that. But um, other things that I, I think that have also been really helpful is just being able to com- communicate, have someone, a good support team, um, being able to have someone that I could talk about what I'm going through day in and day out. Um, not necessarily to dump on them, but more along the lines of like, Hey, let me tell you about the shitty day that I had type thing. Um, you know, and, you know, just having someone that you could, that can hear you out without any judgment, just to hold space for you is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also taking the steps to take care of yourself, I think is really important. Well, and one of the things that I teach with my um, compassion fatigue training is to not 
slime each other with trauma stories, right? Because because one of the things that people do within trauma-informed spaces is that they tend to just trauma dump on each other and it's in the name of venting. But what that does is there, there are steps to take to not trauma dump on somebody. One of them is to ask them, are you in a headspace for me to be able to vent to you? Like that yeah. one step, <laughs> I mean, but that one step could be everything because think about when you're like up to here and somebody comes and dumps their day on you. It's, it almost like pushes you over the edge emotionally. I've ended relationships for things like that, Brooksy. <laughs> no, I mean, it's seriously, like, I don't, I think people forget how important it is to check with the other person. If you can vent, I think we all have like this thought process that like, oh, you're my friend and I could just talk to you. Yeah, they're your friend. That doesn't mean that they're your personal therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for people to realize that. Yeah. And at, uh, just simply say, are you in a headspace for me to do this? And you don't always have to give all the gory details. Like if you you can say, I experienced this without saying like, and there was blood and there was vomited. I mean, I'm just using like in, in social workspaces that I've been in, like it could get really gory. It could be that. But when I'm telling you about the blood and the vomit, it's because I want to sensationalize the story because I want to make it like extra so that you'll understand how traumatic it was for me. But that wasn't really necessary. I just got traumatized hearing you. Sorry. <laughs> I should have asked. <laughs> <laughs> but really, like it's it can be it can be those types of stories. And when we work in those types of trauma spaces we get very like dark in our senses of humor. We get very dark in the way that we see the world, which I don't necessarily see as a negative thing, but we have to make sure that we're not constantly trauma dumping on everyone because that, that leads to burnout. No. And that's true too. Cause I don't think sometimes we think about it. Like I know when I get into my stories, I'm pretty descriptive and I've never thought of it that way. Like, am I scarring someone along the process of my storytelling. And I think that, I mean, and there are certain people that have different bandwidth for different things, right? Like I don't, I've seen so much stuff that I don't, that kind of stuff has no effect on me. No, but as you're saying this, I've actually had a, you know, specific scenario, one particular person, which shall remain nameless, but this particular person shared some personal things that they went through with a partner. And to this day, I'm still traumatized from the things that that person went through. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared for my life to ever have to experience things like that. So, yeah. yeah. So, so th- when we think about burnout, we have to think about each other because we are a collective and it's not just about me being able to vent. So, Um, I think that as we're thinking about processing through that, consider that for yourself. Like, do I need to, do I need to share this much and simply ask if it's okay. And, but also I was about to say that, but on the flip side, as long as you do ask and you know, your audience and who you're talking to, that doesn't mean to stop being who you are. So if you're a descriptive person, by all means, continue being descriptive 
but just know your audience. So like, and find the person like me who can handle it, not the person that's going to like go home and think all night about your story. Exactly. Like if they're impressionable, you know, your audience. And I always say that like to everyone, like know your audience, like you're going to dance according to the music that's being played, meaning who's your listener, you know, you have to Mm -hmm. dance to the music that they're going to listen to and dance to. Yeah, absolutely. And I only say that because my stories are pretty rambunctious sometimes. I've heard your stories. I know. That's why I'm like, and I don't, I have no intention of changing my storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you've got some epic stories, but again, um, they're not for everyone and that's okay. Exactly. And I, and I have to know that as well because Mm -hmm. there's certain, I can't tell you guys some of my crazy energy stories at my corporate environments, you know? Exactly. What are some things that you can identify? Hey, am I feeling burnout? It'll be usually with signs of excessive workloads, meaning like that your work is just never ending. Mm -hmm. Usually those are going to be the fields of jobs where they're experiencing a lot of burnout. The other one's going to be where you have or you feel like you have absolutely no control over the work um, or how you're doing it and the the speed of it. Um, When you have unclear expectations, when your boss or your employer expects you to just do them, but you don't even know how to do it. That is stressful too. When you're given a task, like how many times have I been asked to like do this? And I don't even know what, like I, I'm a background person. Like if you tell me do this, I need to know what I'm doing, what this is part of, how this plugs in. And if somebody doesn't explain that stuff to me, I'm completely overwhelmed. I've seen it happen. (laughs) When I say something with one word and you're like, what does this mean? Exactly. (laughs) And I'm just like, dude, it's just a word. (laughs) Um, But no, it's true. Like having not clear instructions does stress you out. I mean, for me, it did all the time. It still does. When my boss tells me one word emails, like the ones that I send you, they panic me too. And I'm just like, what does she mean? What do you want from me? (laughs) And I have this internal monologue in my head. I'm like... Does she want to cause stress to my life? <laughs> you know, um, the other thing is also like when you feel so overworked that you don't have balance in your personal life um, and you're constantly thinking about work off the clock, that's also a really good sign of you experiencing work burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just constantly like, I remember, actually, I'm going to say I remember. I remember last week. I, was, <laughs> I, was I remember last week. I was having a dream like I literally woke up scared because I was like did I send out that letter like that you know that I finished my deadline you know and I was like and then I was like oh wait it's Sunday go back to bed you know so yeah that's that's horrible horrible feeling horrible feeling so that's you know you're experiencing burnout another one is not knowing how to find the resources or the tools that you need for work um I experienced this in so many corporations and I'm talking like upper management, middle management, and just regular worker fee jobs. And I cannot believe how a lot of these corporations don't have the resources or the proper navigation tools or training for their employees to do their work effectively. Mm. That has been super like bewildering to me, especially when I'm talking about like healthcare companies that have like millions at their disposal for like budgets to improve and somehow it's still broken. But I'm not gonna go. Um, and another one is also not being able to um, job security. If you don't have job security at your job and I feel like that's one of the most 
common things right now in the U.S., job security. It's very, 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 very unknown. One day you have a job, the next day you don't. And the fact that a lot of us feel so unstable in every, in any career, unless you're a business owner, a lot of us are experiencing that, that fear, yeah. of, you know, losing your job and then not being able to talk to your employer. I think that's another one, you know, not ha- having that camaraderie of that relationship with your boss. So if you have a lot of those things that we just named, more than likely, you're probably going to be experiencing some type of level of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the things that you can do to help with that burnout is putting your self-care first. So what does that look like for me? I will tell Brooksy that I'm not going to jump on a meeting with her for a full hour until I'm off the clock and I have either meditated for 15 minutes and then scarf some food dough. So that's my self-care. Um, or sometimes, you know, it, it's me actually sitting down and meditating for a little while or, you know, looking through a magazine um, that relaxes me. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Brooksy? What um, do you do? So... I actually have a, I read this article um, from the Mayo Clinic about ways that leaders can help their team, because I think that's a huge one is the lack of connection for leadership to realize that teams are burned out. So one of the advantages that I had as a leader was because of my background in compassion fatigue and my own frontline worker days, um, I was able to see it. But a lot of times the the leadership does not understand what's even happening. Um, <clears throat> so I wrote down some some kind of understanding that leaders can have. Um, and it's just, it's kind of understanding that you've got to provide leadership development. You have to train the lower level leaders what they're doing and how to do it because there's nothing more scary than to be a new leader with no understanding of how to do it. And I think that that is kind of an area where people burn out of the job really fast because they've got this team down here that's putting so much pressure, like what are, that's why they call it middle management because you've got it from the top and below. Um, and it's, it's gross to have be in that space, but we've got to provide recognition for our team, which I've already mentioned that. And we've also got to give employees control and flexibility of their lives and not feel so constrained by time. Um, I know someone who has to be on the clock typing all day and will set a candle down on their keyboard while they're working because they have to step away from the keyboard. And that is shocking to me. That's something that I will never forget because I have never seen anything like that in my entire life to be to have to be that micromanaged that you have to keep your keyboard moving just to stand up and walk outside for a minute like what and to not give your employees any kind of flexibility i believe we should work to to projects not to time whatever that looks like and i know that that's kind of a um an out there concept that not everyone agrees with but why do i need to work for 8 hours <clears throat> if I can do it in four. That's true. But that's not how it's seen. Oh, no, it's not. And not only that, it's also, it, it comes down to like, how much can you squeeze out of that person? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it comes down to. But no, like, like you just said right now, the the not being able to have um, a constrictive work environment would definitely help your employees not feel that way. Mm-hmm. Because if you 
if you feel like if you're that worried about production, then your quality is going to go down. And so is the quality of your employees lifestyle as well. Okay. So if we were thinking about kind of ways that we can move our our um, listenership forward to kind of wrap up this conversation, because we could go on forever if we're talking about this concept of burnout, because I don't think that we've all the way figured out what to do about this yet. And it's a, it's a growing problem. But I think that if we are to, if we can work together as a collective, like what is our collective call to action on this? Try reframing. I think that's going to, I say, let's start there. I want, you know, I would like to see all of us kind of ask ourselves, why are we feeling this way? Get to the core. Is it something to do with us? Does it have something to do with an external factor? Um, And do we want to stay in that emotion? I think that's the biggest thing is recognizing, do I want to, does this feel good right now to me? And what would feel good to me instead? Okay. And being able to move into what feels good to us because we still have to pay our bills, right? Unfortunately, and, yes. And until we have been able to figure a way for us to fix burnout or fix the workforce environment so that it's more balanced for all of us to not feel this way, I think the best thing that we can do is work within ourselves and learning how to reframe our internal process, which okay, should so- help with the lenses. Because, you know, if we adjust our lenses, it should change the view. So I think that would be my call to action is try reframing. Okay. Reframing and an ask before you vent would be my yeah. call to action is yeah. just ask. ask. I'm being serious, guys. I literally have ended a relationship over that. Like, no. Yeah. I paid 150 to be a therapist. So if you're going to be dumping on me, send me. (laughs) Send, I I have Zelle, I have Cash App, and I have Venmo. (laughs) I'm being serious, you know, keep that in mind. One thing is having friends that you get to that too. Um, But even then, like, is this a good time? Yeah. Schedule time with Brooksy and be like, Brooksy. Yeah, but I, the, the difference for me right now in my life is that I have free time to be able to have those conversations. So I'm not necessarily in a burnout space, but um, I've three years ago, I would have had not no time for that because it was just, I was up to my ears. Um, Okay. Well, this was fun. And I think if we can just get our burnout, personal burnout and team burnout, just to go down a little bit, it's going to make a huge difference for our our work and especially our life because we are not here to kill ourselves over over work. I'm not. Absolutely. And guys keep also in mind um, the first two episodes might not have the worksheets right away, but we will be launching little worksheets that you guys will be able to download um, or get an actual printed copy, a laminated printed copy um, on our um, store on our link tree. Or our website. Um, but the benefits of that is going to be, there are going to be little exercises like we just talked about the reframing. Um, that's going to be something that we will be uh, launching and you guys can hang on to that and do it as you go daily as a little notepad um, or as a little worksheet. 
we will also be launching some really cool meditations as well. Because who doesn't want to be able to chill and avoid burnout, right? And sometimes meditations, um, short little meditations will be helpful to all of us. So those will also be downloadable on our link tree. So just keep your eyes out for that.